Hello and welcome to Digfin Vox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy the program, give us a like and let YouTube know all about your preferences. My guest today is Adrian Chung of Fintonia Group, an investor in Bitcoin and related services and other parts of the crypto industry. He's also been CEO of JobsDB.com, as well as an investor in fintechs such as Credo Labs and GoBear. I spoke with Adrian about what's happening to the crypto space in the wake of turmoil and why he believes Bitcoin is still the place to be for institutional investors. Adrian Chung, welcome to Digfin Vox. Thanks, James. Very, uh, very, very happy to be here. So you've been in fintech for a long time as a, as a manager and an investor, uh, and your latest is Fintonia Group, uh, an investment group looking at blockchain related projects. But before we get into that, I'd love to just to know a little bit more about some of your your previous forays into fintech, um, Credo Labs, GoBear, etc. Uh, some are still here, some have gone away. What are one or two takeaways from your experience in the fintech space in Asia? Sure, no, thanks, thanks, Jen. So look, I guess I started my career in uh, investment banking, in finance, uh, mergers, acquisitions, strategy, um, PE and, and VC. And that really gave me a good foundation to how business works, how regulations work and how finance works. And um, I guess for me, a pivotal moment was when I was the CEO of jobsdb.com, which is, a, I guess, a web 2.0 company where we, we, we basically help job seekers and employers match like a marketplace, right? And we had a thousand people across the region. And what that opened my eyes to was how technology can uh, help people, right? Make things more efficient, help people find jobs, um, help employers find employees, um, through matching, through data, and so on. And then it's through that experience that I, I look at, look, financial services really hasn't changed too much in 2000 years, the economics of how it works. You know, you, you deposit money and banks take that, they lend it out, um, but there's a lot of inefficiency. And so um, through my time running a, a large tech company, uh, I saw how technology and data can really transform um, the, the whole ecosystem. And that's where I really started to focus on fintech. And I co-founded, as you mentioned, uh, Credit Lab and, and also Fintonia Group. And, and what, what I learned through that um, experience as well as uh, co-founding, but also investing in fintech companies was um, technology and data can uh, you know, tremendously transform how efficient financial services are. What I also learned was the nature of regulations, the nature of um, large regulated financial institutions are such that it's hard to make really large changes quickly, right? Um, you know, many financial institutions are still using um, mainframe technology from the 70s, right? And whereas when you look at modern tech companies, we're using the cloud, we've got microservices, we're using different kinds of databases, so it's really, how do you marry that? And um, through our FinTech fund, we'd, we'd seen a number of crypto companies in the early, I guess, 2014 and 15. So 2014, 
um, and JobsDB, we had a, had a billion dollar merger with a listed Malaysian company. And then I set up Antonio Group. And in those days, we saw a lot of crypto companies. And in those days, it was basically uh, Bitcoin companies. And unfortunately, uh, um, we, we passed on a number of these investments, uh, which, which now have, uh, have uh, taken off. And the reason was back then, we thought it's a little bit niche, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what's, what, what we've seen is um, uh, partly because um, Bitcoin and these digital assets in the blockchain are not uh, regulated, that we've seen a, a kind of a, a price innovation cycle. And as, as, uh, as adoption increases, uh, the value of Bitcoin and other digital assets increase, and that spurs more developers to use technology. And now we're really seeing the infrastructure for the new financial services uh, being built. And it's kind there, of yeah. Any companies that, in hindsight, uh, that you wish you had gone into uh, a couple of years ago? Uh, you know, many. <laughs> I'd rather not say it's a bit, a bit embarrassing when when we think about it. But really what's happened is adoption and increasing institutionalization and mainstream acceptance of Bitcoin in particular, but all, I guess, uh, cryptocurrencies. And, you know, when I ran JobsDB, we, we were a jobs marketplace and we, we ended up with what's now very common in the tech world of network effects, right? But in the old newspaper days and businesses, the network effects were hard to come by, but technology really brought that. And what we're seeing now in Web 3.0 digital assets is, you know, um, the benefits of, um, you know, the efficiency that technology brings is then shared more equally. It's, it's shared not only with uh, the builder or the owner of the platform <laughs> or, or the builder of the platform in the old days, that would have been JobsDB, um, but also, and, and the investors, you know, so it's not only the builder and the investors, but it's also the users and the creators that are now beginning to share more equally. And that's how the tokenized token economy, that's how these digital assets, it's really rapidly changing. And in financial services, what's been shown, for example, with stable coins um, and Bitcoin is that transactions can be done at a, at a much lower cost um, than the current uh, I guess, fiat rails and, and SWIFT system, right? So it's kind of uh, pushed financial services and regulators and incumbents to consider um, how they can use technology to improve their business. How much of that is uh, relevant for financial institutions because they can actually move money pretty quickly now, um, faster payment systems being built in many domestic markets as one example. Uh, in, in ways that uh, don't expose them to some of the risks that they would face in cryptocurrency, the volatile nature of the currency. We've seen stable coins go down in flames. Uh, tethers broke the buck, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, so how, how stable is this emerging world? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see this like mid-90s tech, right? When, when I was, you know, university and investment banking and doing all these dot-com IPOs, it was a, it was a boom and, and, and kind of a bubble, right? And um, yeah, 99% of the companies back then uh, don't exist now, right? They really didn't have a, a business model, they didn't have any real technology and they weren't really changing uh, efficiency or the user experience, right? And so, so that, that, that price boom and hype um, and then the subsequent bust really pushed through out a lot of the, 
uh, let's call it the froth, right? But no one today says, hey, the internet doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, we don't even talk about the internet. We talk about ride hailing, we talk about social media companies, we talk about travel, you know. So I see it in a similar way. We're going through a, a boom uh, time and this price cycle drives uh, interest from developers and investors. And that's where the new changes will be. But maybe 99% are you know, not gonna make it, right? But this doesn't mean the infrastructure is being built. Uh, so I think stable coins, and there's different types of stable coins, Terra was an algorithmic stable coin, but some form of fiat back uh, stable coin, now we're talking about central bank, digital currencies, et cetera, um, they can be used and they don't need a SWIFT or correspondent bank and intermediary banks to, you know, because what they're doing, these, these, these intermediaries are putting their name behind and saying, yes, this is right, right? Um, and they have capital behind them to do it. So it's highly inefficient versus what could be possible with a smart contract that says, hey, you know, there's no one to say it's right. You can just look at it. That doesn't as, mean it's perfect, yeah. but uh, I think it's the beginnings of the foundation of a, of a future financial services system. As an investor from Fintonia Group's point of view, what are you looking at? You know, so so what we do, I mean, what what we what we are doing is building a bridge between, I guess, traditional finance and digital assets. So we cater to both, let's call it, professional new entrants to the crypto industry as well as the crypto natives. So for the professional new entrants, um, we have two uh, basic uh, funds and products. One is just a Bitcoin uh, tracker fund, long only fund. Um, and the reason for that is that actually the ecosystem is complex and chaotic. There's over a thousand exchanges. Um, and if you're a professional investor, you worry about security. It's difficult to move large amounts of fiat in and out of the system. Uh, from a state planning perspective, many common law jurisdictions, Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, London, you, you can't grant probate over your Bitcoin. So if anything happens, you can't pass it to your state. So because it's this emerging asset class, what we did was to create, hey, this product for um, professional investors for institutions, so they can invest safely and get exposure to Bitcoin, right? Because we see Bitcoin as um, very different to other cryptocurrencies. It's the only one that is like gold, that is a store of value, um, that is limited in number and it's truly decentralized. There's no governing body, so to speak. So, so we see that as one way that professional and institutional investors can dip their toe and understand kind of the uh, digital assets market. The second uh, product for, let's call it the relatively new entrance is essentially a lending product. You know? So investors invest into what is essentially a private credit fund. So uh, investors who invest in a fund, this fund just lends US dollars, fiat, to, um, to holders of Bitcoin, and we take Bitcoin as collateral. And the amount of collateral and how we manage the collateral uh, 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 makes us believe it is akin to a AAA kind of risk of default because the LTV is 50%. We take double the Bitcoin to the amount we lend out. We have margin calls. Bitcoin is a great, a great collateral. It's liquid. There's a value. You can transact quickly. Um, uh, and it can be done globally, right? The issue with Bitcoin is volatility. And the way you manage that is through the uh, loan to value ratio. As I mentioned, it's 50% and at the different core levels. So these two are the basic products for professional investors and new entrants into the crypto market. 
for the crypto natives, you know, we, we offer, um, for example, for token communities or Bitcoin miners, balance sheet management. And particularly in this, in this time, we're seeing extreme volatility in the market, right? So if you were long Ethereum, for example, which many people have done ICOs or issued tokens are, then it's gone down a lot. So, so there's a question of, do you want to be long? Most, most uh, uh, communities or token foundations are long their native token and ETH. So maybe they should also have some in Bitcoin, which is held up a little bit better, right? Or they should put options around it or they do futures. Um, so traditional finance balance sheet management for operational requirements for risk, uh, risk and return. Some of these tokens also have to provide yield, right? So how do you generate that yield to provide your, your token holders? So all of these things are actually financial services in a way, like concept of how to do it. What, what's the... What's the suitability of Bitcoin to whether it's a treasury or an investor when there's no underlying income stream like you would with a security? I mean, there's nothing backing it other than the fact that other people want to buy it. Yes, and 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 that's true. Uh, but in, in that way, it's no different to gold, which is a store of value. So as an investment banker, I used to build models with discounted cash flow, right? And then and then then you go do a financing or an MA for a gold mine. You go, okay, I hold a whole bunch of gold. So what's the what's the price of gold? What's the forecast cash flow? There's none, right? Because like, yeah, okay, well, 30% is used for jewelry, but it's not much, right? I mean, yes, X percent of Bitcoin is used for transactions by PayPal, by Square, but you know, the majority is not. So it's similar to gold. So then gold is a perception of a store of value that, hey, in difficult times, we should have gold. And that's how gold started as a monetary system, right? It used to be, hey, gold is money. And I pay you with gold, and but gold is heavy, gold's hard to store. And then when I wanted to go from global trade from the from 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 Spain or the or, or United Kingdom, from England and sail to the US, I have these gold bars and then I sink. What happens? So eventually what people did was they issued a piece of paper that was called an IOU. And that piece of paper said it's worth X dollars of gold. And that that piece of paper, US dollar, Great Britain pound, was redeemable theoretically, if you really needed to, and represented a bar of gold in Fort Knox, right? But in 1970s, it's all broke. And then the fiat currency is not backed by anything, right? So it's just other than a government. Uh, so, so that's kind of how the monetary system has worked. The current monetary system, some would argue, is not great because the US has printed a lot of, lot of uh, you, you, you could also argue that uh, that the gold was was always a figment of imagination to begin with, and fiat yes. is a little more uh, more honest about what money actually is. Yeah. So I mean, uh, so so there's gold, and the question is, is gold uh, a good store of value? And um, for Bitcoin, and Bitcoin's different to the other cryptocurrencies, is limited in number. Um, there is no central foundation, right? So uh, it's very hard to, uh, it cannot be hacked. Well, it hasn't been hacked. It's been around the longest. Uh, and it hasn't, um, uh, and as there's increased adoption that it's worth something, then it does become a store of value. So but, I see Bitcoin- But, but, is, but is it, Adrian? Because, I mean, we've seen that in, every time we've had a big market crisis, uh, not, you know, in the, in the equity, public equity markets, um, you know, Bitcoin goes down. Um, it's very volatile. So, is it a store of value, and is it really diversification? 
Yeah, so I mean, I think the jury is out uh, in terms of an emerging, you know, for an emerging institutional asset class uh, where there's increased acceptance, what we've seen is a huge, the thesis is that it, it will be a store of gold and as it becomes more and more accepted, then the price is gonna increase and then the volatility will decrease. And, and Bitcoin is the only kind of asset in the last 10 years which has increased in basically market cap tremendously and the volatility has dropped. And there's around 70% annualized roughly now. It is correlated to um, uh, particularly tech stocks. And we've seen that correlation uh, increase because again, institutional buyers are beginning to come in and they often trade it through the derivatives market, futures and options rather than the physical. So that's impacting quite a lot. But again, I think we see through, you know, March, 2020, the whole world dropped, including Bitcoin, but then Bitcoin went up. And I think different studies show that 90 to um, 100 days after uh, a crash in say the NASDAQ, uh, the correlation then breaks um, and Bitcoin's different. But I think in an emerging institutional asset class, if the thesis is right and people say it will hit 500,000 and one and a half million, and that volatility will become much lower and closer to gold. So that's that's essentially the thesis as a store of value. It isn't risk free. So you're, 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 you're promoting the, the notion that at some point Bitcoin will be worth you know a, you know a, an extra zero two on top of where it is today. That's that's the thesis that Kathy Ark, a bunch of people have put. Um, would you bet your whole life on that? That's up to every individual person, right? I mean, uh, that's that's the thesis. Do you believe it? Do you really understand Bitcoin? Will it be adopted? Um, I think these are difficult questions uh, to know. Nothing's guaranteed, right? I mean, it's it's still it's still a hundred plus percent IRR for the last decade, um, uh, and I believe the thesis and these forces are still there. Now, what does it mean for an individual investor? Or, a, or an institutional investor, I think it depends on their risk appetite. You know, do they want to put 1% on this, 3% on this, 5%, zero, right? But I think it is now big enough where people cannot ignore. I mean, if you see Goldman Sachs doing NDFs and options with Morgan Stanley, um, uh, Nomura, everybody, even with all of this crash, a number of large institutions continue to announce that they are moving into Bitcoin via the futures market or, or through the CME. Um, I think at least Bitcoin, uh, I, I believe is here to stay. Uh, the other cryptocurrencies are very interesting and they're more like technology bets. Like I think uh, Bitcoin is the closest to money, is closest to gold and a store of value. I think the others are more like technology bets. Like Ethereum is a smart contract bet. Uh, Solana is a smart contract bet. Then you need to look at other things. So in some ways it's like a liquid VC bet. You know, it's like a, 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 a club membership. I'm buying a club membership to the Ethereum network. And, and my bet is that a lot of people will use this club, a lot of developers, because their smart contracts are, are better, faster, and I can build more things in this club. So I think my membership will go up if, if you are purely a, uh, a, a financial investor, right? But if you're a developer, you need a club membership to, to buy the food in the club, to use their facilities, to build your little store there. Well, in terms of that infrastructure, we've seen Terra collapse uh, and the attempt to get a Terra 2.0 has failed. What do we learn from this? What's your takeaway uh, from, from this event? You know, in, in, in the dot-com boom uh, and in the resources boom, all, all the booms that you see, there will always be um, uh, companies that get funded 
right? Because people are all looking for the moonshot. And, and you kind of need these booms to incent new developers and people to take risk to build new things. I think the Terra collapse, which many people have talked about, um, and whether it's design flaw, there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, discussions around that. I think it's just a sign along the maturity of the ecosystem. I think there will always be in these boom times, um, uh, I guess, uh, setbacks. I mean, and this is one, and it's these setbacks that will drive better quality projects, better regulation, better awareness. And, and it's kind of unfortunate, but if you look at the dot-com boom, if we didn't have the boom, we wouldn't have got the interest of investors and developers and companies to build the new yeah. technology and yeah. the internet layer. Yeah, of course, of, of course, uh, you know, you need people get excited and think they're going to score big to, to get them to back risky ventures. Um, but what, what's the takeaway that we should get from the Terra experience? What do you think is the reason why an algorithmic stablecoin went down? Does that say anything about where you would place your your interest or your bets when it comes to future infrastructure being built? Yeah, so, I mean, algorithmic stable coins are, I think, different <laughs> to, to, to the others. Um, uh, you know, personally, I feel more comfortable with fiat-backed stable coins. Um, uh, having said that, like, you know, Terra got to an extremely large scale. Um, people say that's because of the 20% you could get on the, uh, uh, from the treasury through the anchor protocol. Um, but I think Stable coins are needed, right? I mean, you could transfer money um, from Singapore to Philippines, from you know uh, different places, and over forty to fifty percent will be just captured by intermediaries, right? You can transfer Bitcoin like El Salvador to El Salvador using a Lightning Network, and you know it, it can be like twenty cents, right? To to transfer uh, even um, large amounts, right? Depending on, 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 on when you do it. So it shows that there's a lot of inefficiency by having all of these intermediaries and, 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 and all of these basically people to confirm and check that the numbers are right. But I, I could also do that using like, um, like my, my wise app or, 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 uh, or Revolut or something like that. Yes, absolutely. But they are also on the um, traditional rails and there's uh, uh, uh okay so they're, they're using some more modern technology <laughs> thank goodness um but still they're on the uh, they're dealing with and having to interact and have apis connected to the let's call it the, the traditional system so i think the fact that bitcoin can show that this can be done without a central body um, means that some form of stable coin now whether it's regulated whether it's backed by a central government etc shows it can be done cheaper and faster yeah so but, but by that time but there's a lot of centralization in the crypto space i mean everyone's going through exchanges if you're doing something with nfts you got to go through like open or if you need to do experience you know metamask whatever it is but there's many portals many choke points in this world it's not really true peer-to-peer -peer and and you know an exchange list yeah. decentralized right so what what and obviously as if you're a vc you're you're not incentivized to put your money into something that would be completely open to everybody to use with no with no intermediaries being able to to take a, a piece yeah. of the action, right? Yeah, I mean, I think all things in life is there's no absolute truth. So there's no absolute decentralized, right? I mean, so Ethereum's decentralized, Solana's decentralized, 
for some things, right? In terms of how they write on the blockchain and how the different nodes do it, right? But there's still a governing body that can decide what to do on the code, right? I mean, the Ethereum Foundation, when there was the hack, they did a hard fork, right? There was there was a vote, but it was, it was a smaller group, right? Bitcoin is the most decentralized. Um, and you're right, there are centralized exchanges and so on. So the future of financial services, if it's using um, blockchain and distributed ledger technology, will just mean different roles are played by different people. So you've got custodians playing different roles. You have people who, who, who would check numbers on us. On we talk about a centralized exchange. You have decentralized exchanges, right? So we see them, uh, Uniswap, we see others. And, and so you have a smart contract instead of a price matching engine. You know, you have liquidity pools. You have, you have um, you know, programs to do certain things. There will be for sure, Jamie, when you start some kind of error. I mean, there's no technology that works perfectly. There will be some, maybe a hack, there'll be an error, but it, it, it shows that, okay, you can take certain parties out. What it probably does mean is new roles get created. So you probably need a central authority to say, hey, this DAO is actually does what it says it does, right? Because we all have the code to review, but we're all not going to read it, right? So, um, you know, different roles will come up in this new world. Uh, I think the, I guess the idealistic, this completely decentralized notion when Bitcoin was 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 formed, uh, you know, it's probably mo mo, you know, they call it what hi-fi, you know, traditional fi finance, and uh, um, it's called a hybrid finance now. They're going to be hybrid centralization. How how important is you know you talked about stable coins and you know you, the need for these. The fact that you need a stable coin suggests something about. Bitcoin isn't really a true form of money by itself. It needs it needs something to go with it. So what's the what's the future of this ecosystem if we end up going to a point where we've got either highly regulated stable coins that are regulated like a bank, or we just have central banks issuing their own digital currency? Where do you see that that interplay between that kind of authority world versus the uh, kind of the, the 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 freer world of of cryptocurrency? I think. Digital assets, cryptocurrency has uh, more than 10x upside, right, from where we are, because the level of institutional participation is still very, very small. The more regulated and clear it becomes, then the more, let's call it mainstream uh, players will come in. So I think one of the things that holds <clears throat> institutions back is obviously this regulatory question when there's a lot of uncertainty or lack of clarity if you're a, a bank or a pension fund right you're you're going to be very cautious um another one though might be uh, questions around esg is is bitcoin or crypto going to mesh with someone's esg commitments uh how do you view that there's been a big push about renewable energy usage in bitcoin mining right and and the economic incentive to use renewable energy is huge right um and I think the proportion of Bitcoin mining that's moving into renewable energy is important, but it can also spur the usage of renewable energy. What do I mean by that? There are many renewable energy projects that never get up because there's a peak and a trough, right? So when there's a trough, they don't really make any money, right? And therefore a margin the project may never get up. It may never be MPV positive. It may never be commercially viable. There's never a trough for Bitcoin mining. It's 24 seven. So when there's a trough, if you can attach a Bitcoin miner, and we've seen a number of projects or of businesses, startups looking to raise money or have raised money on this, this can actually green Bitcoin 
can actually drive increased usage of renewable energy, which is good for the world, because obviously it's not just used for Bitcoin mining, it's used for other things, right, as well. Well, there's two so things, I think that's, Adrian. One, one is that um, we've seen, especially since China banned the mining, most of it's gone to the US or Kazakhstan, and a lot of it is using very dirty, in Kazakhstan, it's mostly dirty old coal, and US also, it's, it's it, using non-renewable type sources of, of energy. And the second one is just, you you could make that argument, but there's also how much uses are we getting for what we're spending in energy terms? So it's powering a financial system, a network that is being used still by a relatively small amount of people. It's not really being mainstreamed. It's not being used for daily transactions or living our lives. Um, whereas, Yes, there's there's gold mining and there's electricity costs for running the bank, but you know everybody uses it. It's it is essentially uh, you know interwoven. It's intrinsic to civilization. So, you know, are are we really at a point where this move to renewables is actually having a positive impact in decline? You know, in, in terms of reducing carbon, uh, or is this just you know uh, miners <laughs> selling a story? I think the answer is a bit of both. I don't think it's completely um, all dirty energy that they're using in the US. I think Kazakhstan has been, and they've also stopped that in Kazakhstan. Um, but I think uh, I think the industry has the ability and should be increasing its usage of renewable energy. I mean, I think that there's no doubt. It has an incentive to do so. It makes a lot of economic sense. Um, but, you know, uh, how do we, as an industry, move that way? And in, if you talk about the US, for example, there's a North American Bitcoin Mining Council that's really talking and trying to improve the transparency of um, uses and sources of energy. Um, you know, like Elon Musk had talked about, hey, the, the, the way the miners work, and then they provided him with data to show, hey, actually in the US, it's actually very, very high renewable energy. And then he said, okay, well, Tesla will accept Bitcoin again um, as, uh, as uh, a payment for their cars. So I think there is a move there. I think it's, it's good to have this awareness and, and to, to essentially shine the spotlight on the industry and, and drive it to uh, not only have the economic incentive to, um, to improve, but as you say, the ESG imperative as well. Yeah. Um, so last question, Adrian. So, you know, you've been an investor in, in, in many different types of, of finance and technology groups. You're obviously very excited about what you can achieve in the Bitcoin space. Uh, you've got some some early products out there. Uh, what do you think will be the the big driver for the rest of 2022? You know, uh, I, I think for us, our focus again is just marrying the traditional finance with digital assets. So we're speaking to many traditional, um, let's call it, uh, you know, many traditional uh, investors, saying, "What is this this Bitcoin?" And 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 you know, and I've heard about hacking, I've heard about security, I've heard, you know, all of these things, and, and we're trying to provide them a safe on-ramp, right? So all of these things, we're trying to marry marry them both, because, you know, uh, financial services have been around the well, oldest industry in the world, you know, probably. So, you know, how you make money from deposits and lending, nothing has changed. If you call the DeFi, it doesn't matter, it really doesn't really change the economics of how it works, right? It's just as the technology assess and price risk better, is it more efficient, do you move things around faster? Um, they're the kind of things. So we're just trying to marry ma marry both um, and bring bring the two together. Great. Well, Adrian, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me at Digimon Box. Thank, thanks so much, Jane.